Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Exodus. <clears throat> Continue our series on the Exodus. And we're in the middle of the Exodus, in the Exodus, the event of Israel's being taken out of the land of Egypt and beginning their journey to the promised land. Exodus 8 is where we're at in our series of sermons, and for want of a better thing, I'm going to read the whole chapter here and make comments about the three plagues, the second, third, and fourth plagues that are mentioned there, various comments, gospel observations about them. Hear the word of the Lord, Exodus chapter 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants." And the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, and the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground in which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. And Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deceitfully deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Thus far we read the narrative of the Exodus in chapter 8, the account of the three plagues, the second, the third, and the fourth, in the whole string of the ten plagues that God had ordained for Egypt. <clears throat> we would get right at it, beloved, and hear the word of the word of the Exodus today. We've gone over this briefly before, but I want to ponder anew and a little more in detail the word of the word, which is the word, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. That's in verse 1 of chapter 8. It's also in another place. Repeated also is this word, let my people go that they may serve me, some nine times in the whole narrative of the account of the Exodus Let's have that before us, the word of the word of the Exodus. Let my people go, and then we'll add there again. And so we want to consider this as a gospel word, as also that it occurs through gospel wonders. And then we'll deal with the plagues, and then the true wonder of God. And then finally, the gospel to the went, and I'm meaning there not only to have a thing you can remember that starts with a W, but we're talking about for the people who are let go, 
what does this gospel mean that would be for you and for me. When God, through Moses, calls Pharaoh authoritatively to let my people go, of course he means it. In fact, this is what God is revealing here is of the essence of his gospel. You could say that the book of Exodus is summarized in that command, let my people go. God says so, let my people go. So you have this amazing truth of God here and God and his salvation, something of which we, we pondered this morning when we spoke of Jeremiah being known by God before he was formed in the womb and called and appointed, sanctified in the womb, God would teach Jeremiah of God and God would teach Israel of God and God would teach us of God. And this is the heart of the Exodus, God. And God says through Moses, let my people go. God, who is God, has a people. And he has his people, and they've been his people in Egypt. But before that, they were his people in Abraham, and they came forth from Abraham. This is the family that God ordained, which would be the children of God family, the promises were to them and to their children, as many as God would call. So God has this people, and God has had this people according to his own eternal decree, as we heard this morning. He's chosen them in Christ, and that's why the promise is to them. They are this special people of God, of all the people in the earth. He has them. They're his. That's what he says here. Let my people go. Never forget those little words like mine. God is very possessive of his possessions. He owns us. That's really the gospel. People like to hear that and all the talk of slavery and some. We don't want to be owned by anybody. But if you don't want to be owned by anybody, beloved, you got a problem because God is the God who takes ownership of it, and that's a good thing. What's our only comfort in life and in death? We're not our own. We belong to Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior, body and soul. He's ours, and we're his. And he is the God who, is, who loves us, that we might be his possession. But it is the way of God, we know this, to let his people go into Egypt as it was when he had his people, Adam and Eve, in the garden, in the pristine environment of perfect righteousness. He let them fall. And he allowed that only, not only, but he willed that. This is in his decree. This is the truth of God and his way. And Also now in Egypt, and we see this people that for at least 80 years of the 430 that they've been there has been under peril and bondage, slavery. They're they're called to work for this boss who's a tyrant, children, and, and 
then their lives are threatened in the lives of the males that are demanded to be executed, thrown into the Nile River, and uh, only Moses and perhaps some other boys were saved by the skin of their teeth, not only, but by God's grace and the faithfulness of some of the midwives. But there's this way of God to have his people who are taken captive here. This is his marvelous way of, in which he's going to bring out of messes and out of Egypt's and out of the clutches of devils his own to the glory of his grace. And you ask, well, how can that be? How can God be good at that in doing that? But simply because God is God. Could have made a perfect world and we wouldn't have needed Jesus then, of course. But see, this is the way. God will show himself as the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ. Well, more on that presently, but this is, therefore, the gospel here that's in all of the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, you read the book of Exodus, you might wonder what it's about, but read it in light of the whole rest of the Old Testament where God says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Read in light of the New Testament where God comes to be with his people in Jesus. He's the word made flesh who dwells among us and so on. Read it in light of the cross and of the resurrection. And it's all God saying, let my people go. My people in sin, let them go. Now, who is he speaking to when he says that? And here, he's speaking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, we know, represents the devil because Jesus calls uh, the devil the prince of this world. Well, Pharaoh's like that. He's the prince of Egypt, the great superpower in the world. And so God says to the devil, let my people go. And it doesn't matter. We don't know all the details about how that works, but God does speak to everyone who's holding God's people in bondage and says to them, let my people go. And to every devil and, and demon and the devil himself, God speaks and commands the release of his people. This is saying, I love my people, and I hate that they are in bondage. And I command that they be let go. And he takes his time, as we would say, but it's always good timing. Not everybody's saved at once. When Adam and Eve fell, right away they fell, as it were, into the arms of Jesus, and they were saved. But then there was this process of time, centuries and centuries, and then Jesus comes. And now, since Jesus has come, there's his people are born, his elect people are still born dead in sins, and they need to be called out and and God needs to say, let them go. And so he speaks into this world, the gospel. And he says, let my people go. Save my people to the devil, to maybe parents who hold their children in bondage because they're unbelieving and they don't give a snap and they let them decide what's right and wrong and what sex they are or whatever. God says, if there is elect among them, let my people go. And he works somehow so that the children are given sight 
and they're liberated from this bondage of iniquity and of humanity's fallenness that passes, they hope, for true morality. And God is speaking, therefore, in all the world, this word here. That's the gospel of Exodus. God's saying, let my people go. They're mine. I love them. I love my people. And I will have them go, commanding that they go. This all, of course, is in Christ, who is typified here in Moses. We'll speak of that presently. But this is the word. Let my people go. They're mine in being my sons. My son is represented here. I reveal the things of my good pleasure to my son, who will be incarnate, but whom I would typify in this Moses. This Moses. And whom I would have represent me and speak my commandment to Pharaoh, though he be but a man, and his word be effectual to their release. It's what's going on then and there, and it's fulfilled, of course, in Jesus, and now in the preaching of the gospel. God says, let my people go. What's what he says here? Let my people go. Let my people go. And the preaching is the commandment of salvation, the authoritative declaration of the truth as it is in Jesus, and the call, repent and believe. And through the word being spoken and then heard among God's people, there's this release from guilt And this falling on the knees and this flying to Jesus. Through the reception of that word then, there's a people that's let go. And when let go, they stay gone. That is, they stay out of Egypt. And as much as this is is possible in this world, we have a small beginning. Let my people go. The word always comes that way. Paul says the same word. You ever wonder, you think of that. Read your Bibles this way. How is this saying, let my people go? Well, when Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. When he's stating a fact, not even an exhortation, This is God saying, let my people go, or this is the result of my letting my people go. There's this truth that's the result of this magnificent event. There's this world, there's this dungeon, there's this this terrible bondage. And I'm saying what's true and what's going to be true. A people will be let go from that. They haven't seen children when we're walking in sin and as we're born, it's like we can't see. And we try to walk around and we can't see. And ministers who are blind, they can't see and they lead the blind. 
and we stink like the frogs with our own opinions. And we're guilty. We're, we're feeling guilty, too. We can't sleep at night. But when we're let go, we can see. We can see. And in the prison of sin, it's a cold, dank place. You think of... You ever hear of an oubliette? Comes to mind. French prison into which they would throw prisoners and then they'd forget about them. Somewhere in this dank cell and the rats are crawling around. They called it oubliette because then they would forget about them. Oublietta. A place of where they just forget about them. Oh, beloved, it's, it's kind of like that. We're there. And but for the grace of God, we're forgotten. And people try to find significance in their prison. Go figure. Without God, in the prison, in the dark. And they have no sense. They're not liberated. They're in bondage still for all their cries of emancipation. And it's all in Jesus. And it's all to serve. That's part and parcel with this word here. Let my people go that they may serve me. That's the gospel. We are delivered and set free to be holy servants of God, worshipers. That's what service means. I'm looking at a bunch of servants. I praise God for you and for that, that opposite of hypocrisy. We're we're liberated to serve, no matter what capacity. Liberated to be servants of God and one another. See to the needs of others, to to help the cause of Jesus Christ, to be there cheerfully. God be praised. But that's what God demands through Moses. Let my people go. And they must go and they must bring their sacrifices to serve me, to worship me as I've commanded. So see, Pharaoh doesn't want any of that. But they're free not to do whatever they want. Christianity's freedom is not the freedom of mere leisure and play. No, it's not. It's the freedom of holiness and purpose and service and goals to be better servants. That's why, glad my wife and I went away for a week. You ought to do it sometimes, men, with your wives. You can leave your children by us. That's fine. Get away sometimes. But to come back, that's what you need to think about. It's to come back. Not to stay away. Wish I could be gone for a year, two years. Give me a sabbatical, whatever. You got to figure out what is the balance there. But we're free to come back and serve. And then even when we're in our leisure time, as we've said here before, it's not about recreation merely. It's about recreation. It's about renewal. It's about prayerful consideration of of the wonderful gifts that God has given you and 
And seeking wisdom, it's all about service. See, here's the gospel of our being justified, declared free and the right to go, and then sanctified together. The sovereignty of God is, has let my people go, and now they go, but not on their own. Now he's made this people that's, that's gone out of the cage to be holy. Children of God, responsible. Right here in the gospel of Exodus, the, God, the gospel of let my people go. Now this is all something that is brought out in miracles, and we'll consider now those miracles. Gospel wonder. We've considered the plague last time of the Nile River turned into blood. Amazing miracle. And here, this miracle, and that's what it is, a miracle of God causing frogs to come up out of the rivers and the ponds and the tributary, especially the Nile River, to come up and to fill the land. I mean, really fill the land. It's quite a plague. In fact, this psalm is presented in Psalm 78 as something that was so bad that the frogs destroyed them, Psalm 78:45. There it says, he worked signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan, turned the rivers to blood, their streams that they could not drink, sent swarms of flies among them which devoured them, devoured the people and frogs which destroyed them. I don't know how that happened, but it certainly did more than make them uncomfortable. The frogs, frogs, let my frogs hop, what God was saying here. Let them be a plague, a judgment upon this people the Egyptians who hold my people in bondage. God commands these little things, not lions and maybe the crocodiles to come out of the Nile, but just little things that were ordinarily worshipped by the Egyptians, as we'll see at the final point. But here, there are these things that are more than nuisances. They come into the people's houses, the houses of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had two of them, one in southern Egypt, and he had a, another house in the, the, the Nile Delta up north by the Mediterranean, we're told. And the houses of the servants into their kneading bowls, their ovens, and they were on, they came on the people, and on the servants, and on Pharaoh himself. Nobody was spared the indignity of having these peepers and these hoppers or crawlers, whatever they were, all over the place and such an abundance of them that there were heaps upon heaps of these frogs. And notice this. This is a miracle. They came at God's command through Moses in response to the defiant Pharaoh, and they came up out of the water. Now, children, frogs don't come up out of the water so much as go down into the water. And they live out of the they live by the water, always by the water. And you come up to them and they jump in the water. They don't jump up out at you, but here they were, sent by God 
all over the place. And again, we'll explain the significance of this in a, in a, in a minute. But then there was this dust that's turned into lice. This is the, the third plague. Dust turned into lice. Verse 16 and following, stretch out your rod, strike the dust of the land, so that may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Here is a plague that's a creative plague. Out of the dust, all the dust of the land, that's how the Bible describes it, God created lice. And that's the question, what is this lice? Was it like the itchy kind that comes in the hair and you can't get that out? Maybe. Or maybe it was ticks, some people think. Maybe it was mosquitoes or gnats. Things, however, that were just painful. They stung. And they were devouring the people up. It was like this plague devouring the people. And no one was spared. All the land of Egypt... And so there was this <clears throat> terrible plague there. Magicians couldn't even imitate it. Apparently because this was this creation of God out of nothing. They could imitate uh, some of the, the first two plagues, but not this one. And after all this, we don't read of the magicians anymore. They were fakes anyway. And God was showing that he is the creator. The magicians can only say this is the finger of God. And it's a question then even whether they meant God or gods, because the word God there can be translated gods. Are they really admitting that this is the God of the Israelites, the true God, or is it just something that's beyond them? They can't do it. It's of the gods. They are not admitting much here. Pharaoh's heart is hardened as well at this time. And then there's this next plague of flies and swarms of flies, again, that devour the people, according to Psalm 78. And so that these, these things that they worship, and this is how they do this, they worship nature, become the things that are a plague upon them. And the people's confidence is obviously being um, lessened in these gods that they worship because now they seem to be the source of, of all that's intolerable as the mosquitoes are becoming now at this time of year in Michigan. But, beloved, we ain't seen nothing compared to the problems that the Egyptians had at that time long ago. So you have the frogs, the dust turned to lice, and the flies and the swarms of flies. And of note, we have at this time of the flies being sent that there's a separation made between the people of God and the people of Israel. And so it is that um, <clears throat> if you read uh, verse 22, in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my People dwell, no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. So from here on in, there's no, no plagues that affect the Israelites who live in the land of Goshen. Not everyone is living there at this time, but for the most part, they're living in that northern territory where they can raise their flocks on their own. And it's like there's this screen door between them and the rest of the, 
of the world, the world and Egypt so that none of the flies can get in and nothing can plague them. And again, more on that presently. But those are the plagues. And what I want to point out, again, this is just as kind of a summary of what these plagues are all about, and much could be said, but is that these are judgments of God. There's salvation to the people of God who now are being reminded that God is not going to kill them with these plagues because now they're being separated. Their difference is being made between them and the Egyptians. But they are at heart judgments, judgments of God upon the Egyptians, his expressions of anger. And it's not, you see, therefore, that the people should be plagued in their in their bodies only, about dust turned to lice and frogs that stink and that, that render them ceremonially unclean so they cannot even worship their frog gods. And can't be about just the flies that are in their hair and in their, in their baking, their baked goods and so on. They must be led to consider wrath. That's the point. The revelation here is the wonder of the God who will show himself unhappy with the people in a big way, miraculously. These are, these are miracles, not just an overabundance of frogs. They always had a lot of frogs there. No, it's, they could say, an overabundance of God in his anger. And it's God who is searching them out and You notice that. He's coming after them. Those frogs, they hop hop up out of their environment. That dust, all the dust of the land is turned into these lice and swarms of flies and they devour everything and everyone. And there's going to be locusts and all that. But here is this God who is in this way showing, I'm coming after you sinners and especially you. Pharaoh, who are holding my people in bondage, and also you, all of you Egyptians whose life is a bad example to my people's life, and by your pleasures in iniquity, you're tempting them to be Egyptian, and they're not Egyptian, they're my people. You're not happy. Not a day God shows his judgments similarly, but not so miraculously as he did here. These are picture judgments. They are picture judgments. And as well, though, we we have here in this separation of Israel from the people of the land, uh, between them and the plagues, this picture of grace, it's a beautiful picture. God's people now will be seen to be God's people, and this God will be seen to be the God of Israel and not just other gods of Egypt. He's the covenant God. But that's what the lesson is here. A judgment and for God's people, mercy, pictured. But there's something else. And I'm anticipating our getting to the tenth plague by this. But we have to get there quickly to understand the other plagues. The real, the really significant wonder is the tenth 
That's where the firstborn is killed, children. Know that? That's your, your understanding of this history. The tenth plague is the killing of the firstborn of Pharaoh, of his children and the children of the Egyptians, and of their cattle, symbolizing the destruction of the whole future of the nation, represented in the firstborn of man and beast. That is the most significant of the plagues of the wrath of God. For there, Pharaoh has no future left. There is nothing left for him, his kingdom, his people. At the same time, there's this expression in this, when the angel of death comes and he's the one who destroys them, that this is really God. God is killing the firstborn. God is killing you off. God is the one with whom you have to do. And directly he's going to show this through his angel, through his messenger of death, the one with a sword on his behalf. And not through mere frogs and lice and flies and hail and darkness and so on. God will. But more. More. The slaying of the firstborn and as well the slaying of the Passover lamb instead for Israel's sake, and then they spilled that blood on the doorposts, is the revelation of all the revelations of the wonders that there ever were of God's wrath revealed on Calvary and God's mercy shown as well. You see, the nine plagues are pictures, and they are meaningful, and because they're biblical and they're revealed to us, they were revealed to that people, and they knew they were having to do with God. But the nine plagues will not kill off a people in themselves, and they certainly will not save a people. It's not, you see, as if the nine plagues were like the Allies in World War II, softening up the, the, coastland of, the, the coastline of France, softening up the targets so that the, the D-Day people could arrive and, and then have a, have a beachfront, beachhead in which to establish operations. So God, it could be said, he's softening Pharaoh up. And look, Pharaoh is cracking. He's conceding there's a problem here and he needs Moses' help to get out of this and treat me. This and that, he's saying. But, beloved, it's really not that way. The nine plagues are something, to be sure. But the tenth plague is everything. It's the culmination. It is the picture, after all, of what the cross is all about. It's the gospel of the gospel. It's the wonder of the cross, the judgment of the world that's come, and the salvation of the world that's come. Right there, meeting in the sun. This is what awaits. This is why all the time that Moses says, let my people go again and again and again. He won't. He won't. Only at the last is he compelled against his will even then to let the people go. You see, all the words of God, beloved, they can be resisted for a while. 
But God is relentless, and when he speaks the word of the cross, and he says there, let my people go well, beloved. Everything in heaven and earth and hell itself is going to let the people of God go. This is the gospel of the wonder in this exodus. And that leads to this. The gospel to the went, and that is to the ones who've been delivered. To the ones who can see what God is doing and has done. And to us. Three lessons. First, this is a lesson here, and we can see it because we're delivered from Egypt, of God against the gods. It's not even, first of all, about us, but when you're saved and you're brought up to see these things and become conscious of this more and more, it's, you see, it's not, a, it's not about me. We saw that this morning. It's not about Jeremiah and, oh, how can I figure out my calling? It's, it's about God. It wasn't all figured out. Just listen to him. And so here, God is teaching us that the main thing here is that God be glorified. It's God against the gods. And in God defeating the gods and Pharaoh, who was this representative of all the gods, perhaps the greatest god of all of the the frogs and the, the Nile River and so on, he's showing this is what history is all about. And when the people is brought out, they will be the people brought out to serve me, to praise me. So God against the gods, that's the first thing, and God wins. God wins. Love wins, judgment wins, everything of God wins. His wisdom is, is revealed, his plan works out, he's never frustrated and doesn't get what he wants in all of this. God wins. God wins against the Nile River because God is the source of life. He's the water of life. In and through Jesus. He wins against the frog gods. And they had frog gods. They made statues out of them with the head of a frog. Chetek or something like that. was the frog god. Female goddess of fertility. So many, lots of frogs reproduce a lot. Must be a god behind them all. The dust god. They had gods of the land. They were naturalists. They, they worshipped nature. The creature rather than the creator. Fly gods, Beelzebub, they had them. Grasshopper gods, these things that Satan deceives people into worshiping. God will say, I'm God. And I'm going to use all these little things to show how big I am. And I'm the God of little things and great and of all things, and I will be God. And then there's the message, of course, of Christ. Christ, who is, first of all, the superior to Moses. Moses is not the final word of God, the ultimate word of God. Moses himself has to be delivered from Egypt, and he's a sinner, and it's striking. In Exodus 4, we read that, remember when he forgot to circumcise or refused to circumcise one of his sons? He was going to die. God was going to kill him because Moses was disobedient, and God says at that time, I'm not going to let him go, but now I'll let him go when he'd circumcised him. See, Moses had to be let go out of his disobedience, not Christ. Christ is far superior. And Christ will be the one 
who is the Savior. And especially here is seen that Christ is far superior than Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a conniver. Pharaoh in Romans 9 is called the epitome of the reprobate. Not a person of God. An anti-God person who is uh, predestined to, to eternal hell in the way of his hardening his heart, in the way of God's sovereign justice over this Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in fact, is the one who tries to play with Moses. He, he's trying to play and hedge his bets here. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Moses something here. These, these plagues are getting a little unreasonable. My magicians can't even duplicate them anymore, so I'm going to ask Moses, okay, just, just uh, uh, I'll let you go a little way, and, and I'll let you go, but leave the, leave the women here, just the men go, and leave the cattle here, and so he has four ways that he's going to compromise things. And he is this trickster, just like the devil, just like the devil, who says to us, I'll let you go, but just don't worship God the way he says. Don't go so far. Don't go so far from Egypt. Stay in the land of Egypt. See, this is the devil's temptation to us, isn't it? devil's temptation to us. Just stick around Egypt a little bit. You can still worship God. You can still be a Christian. Don't, no, don't take the, the, win, the women and the children. Don't take your families. Just you go yourself. Don't be such a fanatic that you have to make proselytes of everyone else you see. You just go in your little corner and you be the Branch Davidians or you be the Christians over there in your little cult of lunatics and fanatics and all Jesus and no one else, and I'll look the other way. The devil, he is Antichrist. That is, he is the agent of the Antichrist on the earth, the spirit of false prophecy. And Jesus is the exact opposite of this. He represents God. The devil represents, or, or Pharaoh represents the devil. And Jesus, he comes and he would do the will of God and he does the will of God. And Pharaoh will be defeated. And finally this, beloved, the victory of the church. The gospel to the went. And the word I would bring to you today in conclusion, beloved, is that we are those who have been delivered here, Exodus 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, is Moses con commanding continually, let my people go, and the people aren't out yet. It won't be till like Exodus 12, 13, 14, 15, and they're on the other side of the Red Sea. They're actually out. And the word of God is fulfilled, and when he said, let my people go, now, now they, they're gone. They're gone out of Egypt. Now, beloved, God, in one sense, doesn't have to say that anymore to us. Hear me out. He said it once. Let my people go, and that one time was on the cross. 
That one time was in the fullness of the time when God was saying in his son, let my people go. That is, you be the agent telling the devils and, and all that is against my people, let my people go. You, you be that word from, from me. You be that. And when Jesus died on the cross, this is what happened. The people were let go. Why? How? Well, because their sins were put on Jesus and God's wrath was upon them. And not just frogs and lice and flies, but wrath. The angry God with whom sinners have to do was expressing his wrath and holiness and justice. And the consequences of it we see on the mangled body of Jesus, the bleeding Son of God, and the Son who never made excuses but had questions. Why? How can it be? If it's possible, let it not be. In undying love, gave his life anyway and went to hell. That's when the people were let go. That's you. That's me. In, in this objective way, right there on Calvary, all our sins were paid for. There's no right for the devil to hold us. No right for Pharaoh to hold us. No right for anyone to hold us. In bondage and sin and guilt, nobody has that right. Not even God, I say that reverently. Because his justice is satisfied. But now, Jesus at the right hand of God sends the Spirit, and there has to be this. The word and verdict of Calvary, my people, they're let go. They're justified. They're declared right with me has to come to them personally. They have to be called out, let my people go, and they go. They go. They have to be born again. You have to be born again. So do I. Not born again and again and again. Once. Born again. Personally justified by faith, sanctified by the indwelling spirit, bound for glory. But now here's another thing that the went must understand. The ones who've Sins has been paid for and have been born again. Understand this so you won't get discouraged. In a very real way, we can go back to Egypt, can't we? Or don't we? We can. And become all but Egyptian. We can. It's within us. There's such potential for sin in us. I know I've been back to Egypt, hankered for the garlics and the leeks of Egypt, the good stuff, without the good God, hankered for the pleasures of sin in Egypt, and not delighting in the pleasures of holiness and eternal life. That's our nature. That's our flesh. And that's when God again has to come and say, let my people go. He has to, otherwise we'd be lost in Egypt. 
Lost in Babylon, lost wherever it is, you're lost in some oubliette somewhere. Lost, hopelessly lost, because we're powerless. We were powerless to get out of Egypt. Now that we're out, we're powerless to, to, to stay out on our own. We need God. So let my people go comes to us again and again and again. Right now, when you're thinking evil, the word of God says, let my people go. And, and you're led to repent and say, no, that's not good. And after you leave the, the church and this pristine sanctuary and so on, let my people go. God's going to have to say it because you're going to get into an argument or something on the way home. Or you're going to start thinking of things that only compound your unrest because you're just planning ahead and you're worried. And God's going to have to come to you again and say, let my people go. And again, I'm not sure who he's talking to, but he's talking and he's saying the same thing. Let my people go. Let there be a people that, for whom my son died who are actually free, actually free, actually prospering in their marriages, loving their work as good work, as to the Lord and not unto men, loving their sex, that is, being content, loving their singleness or their, or their being married or their being grandchildren or without, with children or without, content in the place that God has called us. That's important. Isn't it? Like, real important? That the people of God who are the went, they've come out, they've gone out. Stay out. And give glory to the God who keeps on calling us. Come out, come out, come out from among them. Because you're my people. And I love you. Hear that from heaven. Now the word come to your earth and your life. God says, let my people go. You go now. You go now. And God will see that your freedom is the best thing you could ever ask for. Your freedom in Christ. Freedom to serve. And freedom and the godliness to believe and hope that one time, soon, God's going to say, let my people go, and you'll go to heaven. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us. We stammer your word. We pray that it may get into us and we into it somehow connected with Old Testament gospel statements and pictures. In the light of the New Testament reality of the Son of God crucified for our sins, and the gospel that's there of the God who delivers sinners, the gospel of all time that ever, has ever and always and only been the only good news, that we cling to and we live by and we can be glad in. Bless this congregation, Lord. May it be a people of the exodus and be glad so to be free.
Amen.